You can support Sapphire Planet by visiting the online store at sapphireplanet.com. Welcome. Your journey is now beginning. are now entering the Sapphire Planet. You are now in the Sapphire Planet. The East India Company, also known as the British East India Company, was an English and then later British joint stock company which was formed to pursue trade with the East Indies, but ended up trading mainly with the Indian subcontinent and Qing China. Originally chartered as the Governors and Company of Merchants of London trading into East Indies, the company rose to account for half of the world's trade, particularly in basic commodities including cotton, silk, indigo, dye, salt, saltpeter, tea, and opium. The company also ruled the beginnings of the British Empire in India. The company received a royal charter from Queen Elizabeth I on December 31, 1600, making it the oldest among several similarly formed European East Indian companies. Wealthy merchants and aristocrats owned the company's shares. Initially, the government owed no shares and had only indirect control. During its first century of operation, the focus of the company was trade, not the building of an empire in India. Company interests turned from trade to territory during the 18th century as the Mughal Empire declined in power and the East Indian Company struggled with its French counterpart, the French East India Company. During the Carnatic Wars of the 1740s and 1750s, the Battle of Plassey and the Battle of Buxar 
which saw the British, led by Rollo Robert Clive, defeat the Indian powers, left the company in control of Bengal, and a major military and political power in, in India. In the following decades, it gradually increased the extent of the territories under its control, ruling either directly or indirectly via local puppet rulers, under the threat of force by its presidency armies, much of which were composed of native Indian sepoys. The company eventually came to rule large areas of India with its own private armies, exercising military power and assuming administrative functions. Company rule in India effectively began in the year 1757 and lasted until 1858 when, following the Indian Rebellion of 1857, the Government of India Act 1858 led to the British Crown assuming direct control of India in the form of the new British Raj. Despite frequent government intervention, the company had reoccurring problems with its finances. It was dissolved in 1874 as a result of the East India Stock Divided Dividend Redemption Act passed one year earlier, as the Government of India Act had then rendered its vestal powerless and obsolete. The official government machinery of British India had assumed its governmental function and absorbed its armies. Let's go back to the beginning, the founding of the East India Company. Soon after the defeat of the Spanish Armada in 1588, London merchants presented a petition to Queen Elizabeth I for permission to sail to the Indian Ocean. Permission was granted, and despite the defeat of the English Armada in 1589, on April 10, 1591, three ships sailed from Torbay around the Cape of Good Hope to the Arabian Sea on one of the earliest English overseas Indian expeditions. One of the ships, the Edward Bonaventure, then sailed around Cape Cormoran to the Malay Peninsula and returned to England in the year 1594. In the year 1596, three more ships sailed east. However, these were all lost at sea. Three years later, on September 22, 1599, another group of merchants met and stated their intention to venture into the pretended voyage to the East Indies, the which it may please the Lord to prosper, and the sums that they will adventure. Two days later, on September 24th, the adventurers reconvened and resolved to apply to the Queen for support of their project. 
although the first attempt had not been completely successful. They nonetheless sought the Queen's unofficial approval to continue, bought ships for their venture, and increased their capital. The adventurers convened again a year later. This time they succeeded, and on December 31, 1600, the Queen granted a royal charter to George, Earl of Cumberland, and 215 knights, aldermen, and burgesses under the name Governor and Company of Merchants of London trading with the East Indies. For a period of 15 years, the Charter awarded a newly formed company a monopoly on trade with all countries east of the Cape of Good Hope and west of the Straits of Magellan. Anybody who traded in breach of the Charter without a license from the company was liable to forfeiture of their ships and cargo, half of which went to the Crown and the other half to the company, as well as imprisonment at the royal pleasure. The governance of the company was in the hands of one governor and 24 directors, or committees, who made up the court of directors. They in turn reported to the court of proprietors, which appointed them. Ten committees reported to the court of directors. According to tradition, business was initially transacted at the Nags Head Inn, opposite St. Balfalin's Church in Bishopsgate, before moving to India House in Leadenhall Street. Sir James Lancaster commanded the first East Indian Company voyage in the year 1601 and returned in the year 1603. In March 1604, Sir Henry Middleton commanded the second voyage. General William Keeling, a captain, during the second voyage led the third voyage aboard the ship Red Dragon from the year 1607 to 1610, along with the ship Hector under Captain William Hawkins and the ship Consent under the Captain David Middleton. Early in 1608, Alexander Sharpay was appointed captain of the company's ship Ascension and general or commander of the fourth voyage. Thereafter, the two ships Ascension and the ship Union, captained by Richard Rowles, sailed from Woolwich on March 14, 1607. Initially, the company struggled in the spice trade because of the competition from the already well-established Dutch East India Company. 
The company owned a factory in Bantam on the first voyage, and imports of pepper from Java were an important part of the company's trade for 20 years. The factory in Bantam was closed in the year 1683. During this time, ships belonging to the company arriving in India docked at Surat, which was established as a trade transit point in 1608. In the next two years, the company established its first factory in South India, in the town of Machapalatanan, on the Koramadel coast of the Bay of Bengal. The high profits reported by the company after landing in India initially prompted King James I to grant subsidiary licenses to other trading companies in England. But in 1609, he renewed the charter given to the company for an indefinite period, including a clause that specified that the charter would cease to be enforced if the trade turned unprofitable for three consecutive years. English traders frequently engaged in hostilities with their Dutch and Portuguese counterparts in the Indian Ocean. The company achieved a major victory over the Portuguese in the Battle of Swali in the year 1612 at Suvali in Surat. The company decided to explore the feasibility of gaining a territorial foothold in mainland India with official sanctions from both Britain and the Mughal Empire, and requested that the Crown launch a diplomatic mission. In 1612, King James I instructed Sir Thomas Rowe to visit the Mughal Empire, Nuruddin Salim Hanjigar, to arrange for a commercial treaty that would give the company exclusive rights to reside and establish factories in Surat and other areas. In return, the company offered to provide the emperor with goods and rarities from the European market. This mission was highly successful, and Janiger sent a letter to King James through Sir Thomas Rowe. That letter read as followed. Upon which assurance of your royal love I have given my general command to all the kingdoms and ports of my dominions to receive all the merchants of the English nation as the subject of my friend, that in what place soever they choose to live, they may have free liberty without any restraint, and at what port soever they shall arrive, that neither Portugal nor any other shall dare to molest their quiet, and in what city soever they have residence, I have commanded all my governors and captains to give them freedom answerable to their own desires, 
to sell, buy, and to transport in their country at their pleasure. For the confirmation of our love and friendship, I desire your majesty to command your merchants to bring in their ships of all sorts of rarities and rich goods fit for my palace, and that you'd be pleased to send me your royal letters by every opportunity, that I may rejoice in your health and proper affairs, and that our friendship may be interchanged and eternal. Signed, Nuridin Salim Hangiger, in his letter to King James I. So next comes expansion. The company, which benefited from the imperial patronage, soon expanded its commercial trading operations. It eclipsed the Portuguese Estado de India, which has established bases in Goa, Chittagong, and Bombay, which Portugal later ceded to England as part of the dowry of Catherine of Braganza. The East Indian Company also launched a joint attack with the Dutch United East India Company on Portuguese and Spanish ships off the coast of China, which helped secure EIC ports in China the company established trading posts in Surat, Madras, Bombay, and Calcutta. By the year 1647, the company had 23 factories, each under the command of a factor or master merchant and a governor, and 90 employees in India. The major factories became the walled forts of Fort William in Bengal, Fort St. George in Madaris, and Bombay Castle. In the year 1634, the Mughal Emperor extended his hospitality to the English traders to the region of Bengal and in 1717 completely waived custom duties for their trade. The company's mainstay business were by then cotton, silk, indigo, saltpeter, and tea. The Dutch were aggressive competitors and had meanwhile expanded their monopoly of the spice trades in the Straits of Malacca by ousting the Portuguese in the year 1640. With reduced Portuguese and Spanish influence in the region, the East Indian Company entered a period of intense competition resulting in the Anglo-Dutch Wars of the 17th and 18th century. In the year 1657, Oliver Cromwell renewed the charter of 1609 and brought about minor changes in the holding of the company, 
The restoration of monarchy in England further enhanced the East India Company's status. In an act aimed at strengthening the power of the East Indian Company, King Charles II granted the company in a series of five acts around the year 1670, the rights to autonomous territorial acquisitions, the right to mint money, the, the right to command fortresses and troops and form alliances to make war and peace, and to exercise both civilian and criminal jurisdiction over the acquired areas. William Hedges was sent in the year 1682 to Khan, the Mughal governor of Bengal, in order to obtain a firman, which is an imperial directive that would grant England regular trading privileges throughout the Mughal Empire. However, the company's governor in London, Sir Josiah Child, interfered with Hedges' mission, causing the Mughal emperor to break off negotiations. In 1689, a Mughal fleet commanded by Sid Yaqab attacked Bombay. After a year of resistance, the East Indian Company surrendered in 1690, and the company sent envoys to Aragansev's camp to plead for pardon. The company's envoys had to prostrate themselves before the emperor, pay large indemnity, and promise better behavior in the future. The emperor withdrew his troops and the company subsequently reestablished itself in Bombay and set up a new base in Calcutta. In 1613, we now go to Japan. During the rule of Takugawa Hitata of the Tokugawa Shogunate, the British ship Clove, under the command of Captain John Saris, was the first British ship to call on Japan. Captain Saris was the chief factor of the East India Company's trading post in Java, and with the assistance of William Adams, a British sailor who had arrived in Japan in 1600, was able to gain permission from the ruler to establish a commercial house in Harado on the Japanese island of Kyushu. We give free license to the subjects of the King, Great Britain, Sir Thomas Smith, Governor, and the Company of the East Indian Merchants and Adventurers forever safely come into our, any of our ports of our Emperor, Empire of Japan with their ships and merchandise, without any hindrance to them or their goods, and to abide, sell, and barter according to their own manner with all nations, to tarry here as long as they think good and depart at their pleasure.
However, unable to obtain Japanese raw silk for import to China, and with their trading area reduced to Hirado and Nagasaki from the year 1616 onwards, in the year 1623, the East Indian Company closed its factory. On September 1695, Captain Henry, an English pirate on board the ship Fancy, reached the Straits of Baba Mandibeb, where he teamed up with five other pirate captains to make an attack on the Indian fleet, making their annual voyage to Macha. The Mughal convoy included the treasure-laden ship Ganji Isawai, reported to be the greatest in the Mughal fleet and the largest ship operational in the Indian Ocean, and its escort, the ship Fatah Muhammad. They were spotted passing the straits en route to Surat. The pirates gave chase and caught up with Fatah Muhammad some days later, and meeting little resistance, took some 50,000 pounds worth of treasure. Every continued in pursuit and managed to overhaul Genji Sawai, which resisted strongly before eventually striking. Ganji Sawari carried enormous wealth, and according to contemporary East India Company sources, was carrying a relative of the Grand Mughal, though there is no evidence to suggest that it was his daughter. The loot from the Ganji Sawa had a total value between 325,000 and 600,000 pounds, including 500,000 gold and silver pieces, and became known as the richest ship ever taken by pirates. A letter sent to the Privy Council by Sir John Gayer, then governor of Bombay and head of the East India Company. Gayer claims that it, it is certain that the pirates did do very barbarously by the people of the Ganshi Swai and Abdul Shafer's ship to make them confess where their money was. The pirates set free the survivors who were left on board their emptied ships to continue their voyage back to India. When the news arrived in England, it caused an outcry. In response, a combined body bounty of 1,000 pounds was offered for every capture by the Privy Council of East India Company, leading to the first worldwide manhunt in recorded history. The plunder of Arzeb's treasure ship had serious consequences for the East English East India Company. 
the furious Mughal Emperor Aurangzeb ordered Sidi Yaqub and Nawab Duad Khan to attack and close four of the company's factories in India and imprison their officers who were almost lynched by a mob of angry Mughals, blaming them for their countrymen's depredations and threatened to put an end to all English trading in India. To appease Emperor Arazagebs and particularly his Grand Vizier Asad Khan, Parliament exempted every from all acts of grace or pardons and amnesties it would subsequently issue to other pirates. Next, we come to the trade monopoly that the East India Company built. The prosperity that the officers of the company enjoyed allowed them to return to Britain and establish sprawling estates and businesses and to obtain political power. The company developed a lobby in the English Parliament. Under pressure from ambitious tradesmen and former associates of the company, otherwise termed interlopers by the company, who wanted to establish private trading firms in India, a Deregulation Act was passed in the year 1694. This allowed any English firm to trade with India unless specifically prohibited by an Act of Parliament, thereby annulling the charter that had been in force for almost 100 years. By an Act that was passed in the year 1698, a new parallel East India Company, officially titled the English Company Trading to the East Indies, was floated under a state-backed indemnity of two million pounds. The powerful stockholders of the old company quickly subscribed a sum of 315,000 pounds in the new concern and dominated the new body. The two companies wrestled with each other for some time, both in England and India, for a dominant share of the trade. It quickly became evident that in practice, the original company faced scarcely any measurable competition. The companies merged in the year 1708 by a tripartite indenture involving both companies and the state. Under this arrangement, the merged company letter to the Treasury, a sum of 3.2 million pounds, in return for exclusive privileges for the next three years, after which the situation was to be reviewed. The algamated company became the United Companies of Merchants of England trading to the East Indies. 
The following decades, there was a constant battle between the company lobby and the parliament. The company sought a permanent establishment, while the parliament would not willingly allow its greater autonomy and so relinquished the opportunity to exploit the company's profits. In the year 1712, another act renewed by the status of the company, though the debts were repaid. By 1720, 15% of British imports were from India, almost all passing through the company, which reasserted the influence of the company lobby. The license was prolonged until the year 1766, and yet by another act in the year 1730. At this time, Britain and France became bitter rivals. Bitter skirmishes between them took place for control of colonial possessions. In 1742, fearing the monetary consequences of a war, the British government agreed to extend the deadline for the license-exclusive trade by the company in India until 1783, in return for a further loan of one million pounds. Between 1756 and 1763, the Seven Years' War diverted the state's attention towards consol consolidation and defense of its territorial possessions in Europe and its colonies in North America. The war took place on Indian soil between the company troops and the French forces. In the year 1757, the law officers of the Crown delivered the Pratt-York opinion, distinguishing overseas territories acquired by the right of conquest from those acquired by private treaty. The opinion asserted that, while the Crown of Great Britain enjoyed sovereignty over both, only the property of the former was vested in the Crown. With the advent of the Industrial Revolution, Britain surged ahead of its European rivals. Demand for Indian commodities was boosted by the need to sustain the troops and the economy during the war, and by the increased availability of raw materials and efficient methods of production. As home to the revolution, Britain experienced higher standards of living. Its spiraling cycle of prosperity, demand, and production had a profound influence on overseas trade. The company became the single largest player in the British global market. Sir John Banks, a businessman from Kent, who negotiated an agreement between the King and the East India Company 
began his career in a syndication, arranging contracts for victualling the Navy, an interest he kept up for most of his life. He knew that Samuel Pepys and John Evelyn had amassed a substantial fortune from the Levant and Indian trades. Sir John Banks became a director and later as governor of the East India Company in the year 1672. He arranged a contract which included a loan of 20,000 pounds and 30,000 pounds worth of saltpeter, also known as potassium nitrate, a primary ingredient in gunpowder for the king at the price it shall sell by the candle. That is by the auction where bidding could continue as long as an inch long candle remained alight. Outstanding debits, debts were also agreed and the company permitted an export of 250 tons of saltpeter. Again in 1673, Banks successfully negotiated another contract for 700 tons of saltpeter between the king and the company. So urgent was the need to supply the armed forces in the United Kingdom, America, and elsewhere that the authorities sometimes turned a blind eye on the untaxed sales. One governor of the company was even reported as saying in 1864 that he would rather have the saltpeter made than the tax on salt. The Seven Years' War, from the year 1756 to the year 1763, resulted in the defeat of the French forces, limited French imperial ambitions, and stunted the influence of the Industrial Revolution in French territories. Robert Clive, the Governor General, led the company to a victory against Joseph Franco Duplay the commander of the French forces in India, and recaptured Fort St. George from the French. The company then took this respite to seize Manila in the year 1762. By the Treaty of Paris in 1763, France regained the five establishments captured by the British during the war. Pondicherry, Mahi, Caracol, Yanam, and Chandernagar, but was prevented from erecting fortifications and keeping troops in Bengal. Elsewhere in India, 
the French were to remain a military threat, particularly during the War of American Independence and up to the capture of Pondicherry in 1793, at the outset of the French Revolutionary Wars, without any military presence. Although these small outposts remained French possessions for the next 200 years, French ambitions on Indian territories were effectively laid to rest, thus eliminating a major source of economic competition for the company. In its first century and a half, the East Indian Company used a few hundred soldiers as guards. The great expansion came after the year 1750, when it had 3,000 regular troops. By the year 1763, it had 26,000 troops. And by the year 1778, it had 67,000 troops. It recruited largely Indian troops and trained them along European lines. The military arm of the East India Company quickly developed to become a private corporate armed force and was used as an instrument of geopolitical power and expansion rather than its original purpose as a guard force and became the most powerful military force in the Indian subcontinent. As it increased in size, the army was broken into the presidency armies of Bengal, Madras, and Bombay, each recruiting their own integral infantry, cavalry, artillery, and horse artillery units. The Navy also grew significantly, vastly expanding its fleet, and though made up of predominantly of heavily armed merchant vessels called East Indiamen, their Navy also included warships. The East India Company, fresh from a colossal victory and with the backing of its own private, well-disciplined, and experienced army, was able to assert its interest in the Carnatic region from its base in Madras and in Bengal from Calcutta without facing any further obstacles from other colonial powers. It continued to experience resistance from local rulers during its expansion. Sir Robert Clive led company forces against Siraj Ud Dallah, the last independent Nawab of Bengal, Bihar, and Midnapore district in the Odisha to victory at the Battle of Plassey in 1757. 
resulting in the conquest of Bengal. This victory estranged the British and the Mughals, since Siraj Dahal was a Mughal fedatory ally. With the gradual weakening of the Marathas in the aftermath of the three Anglo-Maratha Wars, the British also secured the Ganges Jumadoab, the Delhi Argara region, parts of Bunderlakhand, Broach, some districts of Gujarat, the fort of Amanagar, the province of Katak, and the surrounding areas, leading to a formal end of the Maratha Empire and firm establishment of the British East India Company of India. Hyder Ali and Tipu Sultan, the rulers of the Kingdom of Mysore, offered much resistance to the British forces, having sided with the French during the Revolutionary War. The rulers of Mysore continued their struggle against the company with the four Anglo-Mysore Wars. Mysore finally fell to the company forces in 1799 with the death of Tipu Sultan. The last vestiges of local administration were restricted to the northern regions of Delhi, Adu, Rajaputana, and Punjab, where the company's presence was ever increasing amidst infighting and offers of protection amongst the remaining princesses. The hundred years from the Battle of Plassey in 1757 to the Indian Rebellion of 1857 were a period of consolation for the company which began to function as a more as an administrator and less as a trading concern. A cholera pandemic began in Bengal, then spread across India by the year 1820. 10,000 British troops and countless Indians died during this pandemic. Between 1760 and 1834, only some 10% of the East India Company's officers survived to take the final voyage home. In the early 19th century, the Indian question of geopolitical dominance and empire holding remained with East India Company. The three independent armies of the company's presidencies, with some locally raised irregular forces, expand to a total of 280,000 men by the year 1857. First recruited from mercenaries, 
and low caste volunteers. The Bengal army especially eventually became composed largely of high caste Hindus and landowning Muslims. journey is now ending. You are now leaving the Sapphire Planet. Goodbye from the Sapphire Planet. Own a piece of the planet. Now you can purchase Sapphire Planet merchandise online at sapphireplanet.com.